0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying going through the book of James. If this is your first time here, we've been going verse by verse through the book of James, and we're on James chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. To James chapter 4 this morning also just a quick reminder if you uh, forgot your Bible this morning uh, don't forget that there are Bibles at the back of the sanctuary over by the sound booth they're the same translation as what I am going to be teaching out of today the English standard or you can always use the Bible app and uh, you can get the notes uh, that actually uh, I wrote that I'm teaching um, from there as well just go to the live portion of that I've really been enjoying studying James because this is one of my favorite books in all of Scripture, And I think that it's one of those books in the Bible that, man, if we can get a hold to the true message of James and look at this thing in context, it can really set you free from a lot of junk that the enemy would want to get you to believe, a lot of lies that he would want to use to try to make you feel like that uh, you have to do things in order to uh, earn God's favor or also to uh, do things to show that you're spiritual or things that you're trying to achieve or accomplish in the eyes or opinions of other people james really gets to the heart it gets to the core and i believe the message of james is one that is an overflow of grace that says listen all the good stuff that comes out of us is a result of the cross and james is trying to remind all of these christian people that it's the cross. It's the gospel that should actually cause us to do good works, not to treat others unequally, that should cause us to actually uh, allow our heart to be transformed to where the things we speak out of our mouth would line up with the things that God would want, and not just things that we would want to try to sound spiritual to other people. But I believe that the message of James is just a powerful one. And uh, let's go into this today. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. True repentance. That's the title of my message. Boy, this is going to be a fun one, right? If you have to write the R word in church. Uh, Now, remember, when reading the Bible, that the text in Scripture is what's inspired by God, not the verse and chapter divisions. Those were added by man just for our reference, and they did the best they could to try to capture thoughts, but those things are not inspired by God. So if you see, you know, chapter 4, verse 1, you also need to look at chapter 3 and realize that when James wrote this letter, he didn't write chapter 4, chapter 3, etc., etc. He was writing one letter, just like you would write a letter to someone, and the way that they did their sentence structure is very different from the way that we do ours. So they did their best when they were translating these different passages out of Greek and Hebrew to try to make sure that we had great anchor and reference points, but those parts are not inspired by God. The text is what is inspired by God. Those were added for our reference. So James 4 requires that we look at and remember what has been talked about before in order to properly contextualize it. So James has been dealing with people refusing to see their own sinfulness and thinking that they need position or they need knowledge in order to be spiritual. And in James 3, he tells them being a teacher doesn't make you spiritual and you can't tame your tongue as a pathway to maturity but rather your words that come from your heart or a healthy heart that has been influenced by grace will actually speak truth and that that hasn't been influenced by grace you need to be careful because you can't tame the tongue and just make it sound right so let's look at a few verses so we can properly contextualize chapter four which is a shorter chapter anyways so let's go look at james 3 and verse 13 let's start there james 3 and 13 who is wise and understanding among you But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? Let's stop right there. So he opens up this next portion that we call chapter 4, with a question. Why are you guys fighting? What's your problem? Why can you guys not get along? Why are you constantly bickering with one another? We can see here that through reading James 3, that these guys were looking to be spiritual. They were thinking that they were wise. They were thinking they were mature. They were thinking they had reached some type of apex in their Christianity, in their walk with God. And so because of that, they become very arrogant, very prideful. James calls that demonic. He said, you guys aren't seeing what's going on, and this is causing you to fight amongst one another. And that's why all throughout the letter that James wrote to the different churches, he's trying to get them to see you don't need to show partiality. You don't need to just run away when something is brought to your attention that you don't like about yourself and try to forget it. You don't need to just go out there and try to tame your tongue to sound spiritual so you can become a teacher. He said, no, you need to allow the heart to be changed. He said, the good fruits is what you need to be after the things that are impartial the things that are sincere that's what he just got through saying in three so now he's addressing the issue that he has been talking about throughout the previous chapters and he's saying why are you guys fighting what's the deal what's going on why are you fighting among yourselves this is your passions that are at war with you it's exposing something and i think that we all get to a place in life Where something or someone is going to expose things about us and in us that we don't necessarily like. It's called marriage. It will expose things in you that you don't necessarily like. It's called parenting, it's called getting a job, it's called having friends, it's called being a son or a daughter. All these different things in your life we see kind of buffet us. They, they, they kind of begin to really just grind on who we are and expose the reality of what we've been trying to bury. Because when you're around people in a certain situation over and over again, all of a sudden you kind of get tired of pretending. And who you really are begins to shine and come out. I remember hearing T.D. Jakes say this. He said that your best friends and your real friends are the ones that don't wear you out. He said those people that you have over your house that when they leave you feel exhausted. He said the reason you felt exhausted is because you weren't really being you. You were being somebody else. He said the reason you can spend more time with some people than you can't with others is because those you can spend time with are those that you don't have to put on for because those you have to put on for, that wears you out and it doesn't make the interaction and experience as enjoyable. That's why you like hanging around people you can be real with, that you can let your hair down, <laughs> right? That's who we want to spend time with. That's how we like to do things, right? But the thing is, is that if you're around people long enough, In a given situation, whether those are your kids, your spouse, your co-workers, your boss, your employees, whether it's around your family members, your friends, your church family, things are going to start to get exposed about who you really are. Because you can only keep that smile on for so long, right? You can only keep that up for so long before you're just going to get wore out. And you're tired of playing the game. And then all of a sudden you're just like, here I am. And I think that that's what's happening here in James is that there's so many things that have been happening in this church that they're they're kind of past the hey brother hey sister stage. And now they're beginning to fight and quarrel because things are coming out of them. They're beginning to be exposed for who they are. And James is saying this is ugly and you need to see it as ugly. That's the thing that we want to always excuse our sin. We always want to excuse our deficiencies. We always want to excuse our weaknesses instead of actually embrace those things and confront those things when they're exposed. We want to dismiss those. We want to excuse them. Oh, well, you know, that's really their fault. That's not really my fault. We want to blame shift. All of those things that we try to do as a tactic to avoid having to deal with it. We'll medicate it. I know that there's many people that will commit adultery during this time. They'll commit adultery with two men named Ben and Jerry. And they'll just sit there and eat ice cream over and over and over again. That was ice cream reference, by the way, in case. I just saw some late smiles and some late laughing there and wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page here. You see, but where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. The problem with the people James is writing to is that they refused to see their sin. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to see it because they thought in their minds they were spiritual and everybody else was the problem. They thought in their minds they were mature and everybody else was the problem. How many times have we been those same people that James is trying to address and correct? He's trying to get them to look inward instead of looking outward. We just had the GLS, the Global Leadership Summit here at our church this past Thursday and Friday. Huge success, beautiful event, very proud of our staff and our team. I couldn't believe, I was blown away the amazing things that uh, they did the level of excellence in which we served other people. It was fantastic. But when you're sitting in an event like that, you hear a lot of good nuggets. And when you're sitting in an event like that, where it's just teacher after teacher after teacher after teacher, you hear things that you go, man, this is really good. I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Make note. Spouse needs to hear this. Make note, employees need to hear this. Make note, coworker needs to hear this. Mom needs to hear this. My kids definitely need to hear this. And you write these notes down like you're you're like you're someone else's secretary, and you're taking notes on their behalf because these are things that they need to hear. And oftentimes we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do the heart work to where when those things get exposed, we look inward. We're always thinking about somebody else. Matter of fact, you might be hearing me preach and teach right now and going, man, where's my husband at? Why didn't he come with me? Man, where's my friend at? They should have been here with me today. Oh, my goodness, where's so-and-so? Where are they at? Where are they at? They better come to that second service. I'm going to text them right now. They better be here. And you're always thinking about someone else. And so because of that, you'll miss out on what God's trying to show you. Now, remember... How James is writing this, it's in that ancient writing style, the very Jewish writing style called Pearls of Wisdom on a String. You remember that from the first session uh, that we taught uh, through the first book of James. Which means that these things all connect to one another and they all touch one another and they're all going to eventually go back around to one another. Okay, And that's how James is writing. So what he's trying to get them to see, he's asking them, why are you guys quarreling? Why are you fighting? Why are you not looking inward? He's saying, you're being just alike, making all the way around to the first chapter, the man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. You remember that was James chapter 1. He said, don't be like a man who sees, is shown his reflection, is shown his sinfulness, is shown his depravity, and then goes, well, don't like that, going to go somewhere else. And then you just keep running away from it. I'll tell you what, folks, you can run from churches, you can run from uh, businesses, you can run from relationships, but until you face those things on the inside of you and you stop blaming other people, you're, you're going to be bound to repeat those same lessons over and over again until you finally walk through it, not away from it. So many people, they want to run away from this crisis situation in this church. They want to run away from this crisis situation in this relationship. They want to run away from this crisis relationship at this job. And there are certain situations, certainly, where those things are applicable. But more times than not, when it gets too hot in the kitchen, people always want to bail, and they don't want to walk through it. They don't want to persevere. And they're bound to repeat that same thing at some point in their life. But where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So here's the cool thing. The cool thing is that if I will actually embrace the weaknesses that are being exposed, if I will actually admit and confess my own shortcomings and realize James isn't talking about someone else, he's talking about me, now God's grace becomes humongous. It becomes bigger than ever before. Because as to where religion would try to teach that God is unhappy with you, that he wants to smack you upside the head, that he's angry at you, that he doesn't love you because you've done this or you've struggled with that. Instead, his grace becomes so much bigger in those moments. But the grace of God can only become sweet when I recognize the wickedness of my sin. Oh, I'll say that slow so I can say that some more. I heard somebody in in their heart say that. Don't worry, the grace of God will only become truly sweet when we truly see the ugliness and the depravity of our sin. Because it's like, I didn't realize I needed you that much. But when I realize that and I truly see that reflection, then all of a sudden, man, that grace begins to just abound to me. Instead of getting judgment, what I deserved, Jesus took the judgment for my ugliness and my sin on himself on the cross. And he did that for you and for me. And because of that, the grace of God becomes sweet right in the middle of my depravity. Right when I should feel like I'm worthless, he says, no, you're worth it. Right when I say I want to give up, he says, keep holding on because I still have a plan for you. It's not over. Right when you feel like you have blown it, he said, you can't go too far. You can't escape. There's no height, no depth, no end to my love and my grace for you. In those moments. But we can say that when we're on the other side, not feeling that bad, and we don't really truly want to see our sinfulness, but it doesn't truly become reality to me. Man, I think people that struggle with this are people like me, because I grew up in church, and I did a lot of things right. I did a lot of things that I'm very proud of. I did a lot of things I'm not proud of, but there are a lot of things that I accomplished as a church kid. Growing up in church, I thought, I did pretty good, and I avoided some pitfalls that some of my other friends and peers ended up getting into a lot of trouble over, things that I avoided. And I thank God for that. And so sometimes when you have avoided certain pitfalls, you say, I don't really have that great of a testimony because... I don't have one of these, I was under a bridge, lost everything, about to die, people were trying to kill me, then all of a sudden an angel from heaven came down with a trumpet, and all of a sudden I reached out and I grabbed his hand and I wept and, you know, I I got saved right there on the spot. I I don't have one of those cool testimonies, and when I hear those, like, crazy testimonies like that, I'm like, wow, thank you, God, for doing that for that person, but then someone who hasn't been in that same situation, it's almost like they look at those people and say, oh, well, that's nice, bless their little heart. I'm pretty good over here on my own because I go to church, I do this, I do that, I do this, and I go and I rattle through all the good things that I do. And it's harder for people, I think, sometimes in those situations to see their sin because their sin is not necessarily as outward and obvious as others. If, if you're living under a bridge messed up on drugs and alcohol and you've lost everything, it's pretty obvious you need Jesus. Someone who's sitting in a three-piece suit going to church and making six-figure income, driving a nice car, living in a nice home, it's harder for them to see their need for Jesus. It's not as obvious to the rest of us as the person who's obviously showing the signs of depravity, but the person in the three-piece suit is just as much in need of Jesus as the person under the bridge. The person living in the nicest house, making a wonderful income, Having job security and being well thought of in the community is just as depraved and just as sinful and just as as needing a Savior as the person under the bridge. But one person realizes it a little quicker than the other. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, that's why James is trying to get this across to these people. Listen, you're treating wealthy people differently than you're treating poor people you 're separating people you're you 're not treating people the way that God wants you to treat you 're not seeing your sin you 're you 're trying to schmooze you 're trying to play the p r game and 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 you think you 're good because you want to be a teacher and and you 're pursuing being a teacher He said, but don 't pursue being a teacher he said there 's a stricter judgment there. be careful with that you 've got to watch this and he 's stringing all of these. These pearls together, trying to get them to see their need. And here in chapter 4, he's finally getting to a place where he's saying, Listen, why are you fighting? What's causing quarrels among you? It's your passions and your desires that are causing this. You need to see this. You need to wake up. You need to take the blinders off. You need to look in the mirror and see yourself for how you really are. See, he's trying to get this across to them that these people, they saw themselves justified in their divisions. They saw themselves justified in their fighting because they knew Scripture. Some of these people were even teachers. My goodness, I've got a name tag. got an office. People respect me in this church. They were puffed up with pride. They didn't see their sin. So if you can't see your sin, how can you really see the grace of God? If you... We're so scared of this sin thing, and people want to preach love and grace, and I'm all about love and grace. We got a sign out on the building that says we're all about grace. Word of grace. I love grace. I love talking about the love of God. But until I see my sin and I see the reality of my situation, how can grace and love truly even enter in my heart? So many people don't want to talk about sin and we don't want to look at sin and we don't want to deal with it. We just want to feel good. We just want a little encouragement, a little uplift to help keep me going. Listen, folks, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. All the more grace abounds. But we've got to see our need. Let's keep reading James 4. Let's start in the second verse. You desire... And you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. In other words, he's telling them, listen, guys, God wants to bless you, but you're going about this all the wrong way. And the reason you don't have what God wants is because you're not looking to God to give it to you, you're looking in your own strength and you're trying to open your own doors. You're trying to make your own stuff happen instead of depending and trusting on Him. And because of that, it's causing you to be more cutthroat to the point to where you wish other people were dead, you're so angry with them, and you're coveting, you're wishing you had stuff other people had because you think it'll make you important and significant, so you're looking and lusting after what other people have. He said, God wants to make you content, but those things aren't going to do it. He said, the only reason that you don't have this stuff is because you're not asking from the right source. You're not depending on God to give it to you. He said, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. You want to spend it on your passions, is what, he say, is what he said. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, James is speaking metaphorically here. He's trying to show them their depravity and sinfulness. He's trying to show them, help them to see once again the reflection that they need to see so grace can abound in their lives. Let the law show you. Let let that, that hard truth show you how truly sinful you are so you can allow the grace of God to become so sweet, so you can repent, and so you can humble yourself, and so you can trust in God. Man, how many more seasons of this brokenness are we going to have to go through in order to get to a place where we begin to depend on God and we allow ourselves to get humbled by the Lord. How much more junk are we going to have to keep repeating that same test over and over again until we finally wake up and see, wow, I need to depend on God. The message sounds overtly simple. The message sounds actually very elementary, but because we complicate it, We don't receive it and we don't live it. It's as simple as us seeing ourselves for how and who we really are and not forgetting it and embracing that and going, okay, I see my sinfulness and it wrecks me and it breaks me. And when I see my sinfulness and it wrecks me and breaks me, it should drive me to my knees and repent. Because, listen, some people think that when I see my sinfulness, this is an opportunity for me to go into try harder to do better mode that's the trap that a lot of people get caught in. When they see their sinfulness, it's like, try harder, do better. Okay, try harder, do better. That means I've got sin in my life. Then I'm just going to try harder and do better. I feel encouraged and motivated to try harder to do better. But just like the tongue, it can't be tamed. You find yourself getting back to that same place. Man, I'm just failing at this Christian thing. I'm doing the try, try harder to do better thing, and it's not working. I feel bad about it. Try harder, do better. Okay, I'm trying harder. I'm doing better. If I am trying to accomplish things in my own strength and my own ability without allowing the grace of God to wreck my heart and become so sweet to where I depend on Him, it's going to constantly be my efforts and and I'm always going to get back to that same place where I realize, well, I guess it's time to try harder to do better instead of allowing my life to be an overflow of the grace of God at work in my heart. Because you're going to do what's in your heart. You know that? You're going to do what's in your heart. You're going to spend your money on what's really in your heart. You can say, oh, if I had extra, I would give to the mission team. Or if I had extra, I would give to support a child. If I had extra, I would give to the church. If I had extra, you know, I'd be generous. I'd help out the homeless if I had extra. Everyone thinks if I had extra, but oh, you know, things are so tight. No, no, Listen, your money is a reflection of your heart. So what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. He said that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then also, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see the things we speak, the things we do, the things we spend our time on, the things we spend our finances on. It's just a reflection of what's in our heart. So you can spend your entire life to try harder to do better, or you can allow this mirror that's being held up, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, to break your heart, cause you to repent and say, God, I need you to change my heart. Because it's not a try harder, do better thing as much as it is, I need a heart ch- change. Amen? Something in my core needs to change. And it's not just try hard or do better. Yeah, there's things where we need to put effort into. And there's things where we need to, we need to make steps in certain directions that may be challenging or difficult, no doubt but it's not something that you have to do alone because His grace is sufficient for you. Amen? The Bible says that He's our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The strength that should help us to persevere, that should allow the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to begin to develop character in our lives, where we can become people of character who are representatives of the kingdom of God, like Second Corinthians 5 and 20 says, that we're ambassadors of Christ. We're it's actually him working in our hearts and it's not some new program that I learned to try harder to do better and I think I'm getting pretty good at it. No, instead it becomes something I want to do. Aren't the things that are hard to do for you at first aren't they so much more enjoyable when you actually want to do those things? You know, I don't struggle wanting to get on a motorcycle and go on a ride. I don't struggle going to a buffet. I don't struggle wanting to, you know, uh, do certain things in my life. It's, it's not, I don't struggle to go on vacation. Oh, this is so hard. I have to try really hard to go on vacation. No, why? Because in my heart, I really want to do those things. And the reason that I want to do those things oftentimes is very self-serving. Sometimes it may be to spend time with my wife or my children, and I may have those selfless moments there. But oftentimes, we see that what we don't struggle doing are things that are very self-serving, which just shows us the nature of our heart. The things that are not difficult for you to do, the things that you don't... I mean, it's not hard for a lot of people to just lay in bed all day, right? Why? Because you're tired. You don't want to face the world. You would rather sleep. It feels so good. My bed is so awesome. i got a really good warm spot going on. So cuddly. But the thing is, is that what about the things that God says are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all these things that should be second nature to us as Christians. And they don't come from try harder, do better. They come from a heart that's being changed, a heart that's repentant, a heart that recognizes its need, a heart that goes, wow, oh, wow, God, I see my sinfulness and I am wrecked over it. And it drives me to a place of repentance and it drives me to a place of depending on Jesus to where I say his grace is sufficient and where his grace begins to work something in my heart that I could never do on my own James is really trying to lead these people to repentance by seeing their true nature so that they can be humbled, so that they can be set free, so that they don't have to be caught in the cycle and the trap and the game of, look at how spiritual I am because of what I've accomplished. Look at how wonderful I am because of all the things I know. James says, yeah, you know a lot, but you don't have any works to back it up. What do you mean? You're proud, you know all that stuff, is great, you got how many degrees? Good. You, you, you want to be a teacher? Oh, okay. Uh, you know there's a stricter judgment for that, right? You see, James is trying to wake these guys up. He's trying to wake them up to grace so that they can be free. He's not being critical of them. He's not being angry at them and just trying to chastise them, but rather he's trying to show them their state so they'll repent and so they can be set free from this trap that so many of us get caught in. Let's look at verse 5. Do you suppose it's no purpose, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's saying resist that temptation. Resist that thing that wants to whisper in your ear that you've got this thing figured out, that you're awesome on your own. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow, James, you're an encourager. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, that's a heavy section of this letter. And James is trying to get across that true repentance comes through submission and humility. True repentance comes through submission and humility. In other words, you need to see yourself for who you really are. You need to see your sinfulness. He said, let the law show how sinful we really are so the grace of God can become sweet, so we can humble and repent, and so we can allow God to do the heart work. That's my dad's favorite saying that he says over and over again. I just went a couple weeks ago and... Visited with him um, down at the ranch where he lives. And he's in charge of a, a group of guys that all live in this really just beautiful cabin that's been made for men to come who are struggling with addiction. And my dad's one of the older guys out there. And so they brought my dad on staff after he went through the program and has done so well. And he's been out there for about two years now. And now he's the guy that is actually this father figure to all of these younger men in their 20s and 30s out there who are struggling with drugs and alcohol and who are looking for help. And he tells them his story, and he says this every time. He says, until you see yourself for who you really are and you allow God to bring you to a place of true repentance, he said, you're not really going to change. He said, I had to see myself for who I really was. He said, because I kept comparing myself to my dad because my grandpa was an alcoholic, and he was very verbally abusive, sometimes even physically abusive early on. My dad told me a lot of stories. And my dad said, at least I'm doing better than my father did. And we get caught in this comparison trap when we want to feel better about ourselves. Well, at least I'm not doing as bad as my brother or sister. At least I'm not doing as bad as my neighbor. I mean, my goodness, have you heard how they talk to each other? At least I'm doing better than most of my family members. At least I'm doing better than that coworker. It's pretty obvious. I'm doing better than them. At least I'm doing better than so-and-so because I'm volunteering more. And we began to put ourselves in these different categories to make ourselves feel better. And that's just pride working. And James says, no, 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 resist the devil and he'll he'll flee. You need to see yourself as who you are. Instead of you being so full of pride and being joyful about those things, he said, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Mourning over what? Over the reality of your sin that you just got confronted with. Instead of you just laughing, pretending like everything's okay, it's all right. Let it be turned to mourning. Let, let, let let, Let some tears flow. Let the grace of God hit you so heavy with the reality of who you are and how that you have, have struggled, how you have tried to, to try so hard to impress other people. Let the grace of God hit you in such a way that it becomes so sweet because you go, wow, I'm actually aware. It's not, am I better than this person? It's not, have I accomplished more than this person? Am I further down the road than this person? This is between me and God and nobody else. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? It's about submitting to that and being humble because you're going to be confronted with it. And you can run away from it, try to forget what you look like, or you can allow that mirror to be held up and go, this hurts, but it's a good hurt because it's working the grace of God in my heart. Because now the grace of God is becoming so sweet because it shouldn't bring condemnation. It shouldn't bring this weight of condemnation and guilt? Because Jesus said, here, let me take that burden from you. Instead, why don't you take my yoke and my burden? It's easy and it's light. Why don't you allow my forgiveness to work a great work of grace in your heart? Why don't you allow your awareness of your need for me to work an even greater awareness of dependence upon Christ? And now it becomes less about my strength, and now it becomes I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now it becomes about me being able to persevere because the, 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 the very one who has given me purpose now lives on the inside of me. And now I'm moving forward not because I'm so great but, but because greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. And I can rest and trust in grace because I have seen my sinfulness and I have seen my shame and I've seen how Jesus has lifted it and how he's taken it and how he's made all things new. And that makes me all the more grateful, all the more thankful, all the more wanting to worship Him. So when those things are revealed to you, don't run away from them because it's going to actually help you grow to the next level. Don't run away from them and try to forget. Instead, allow it to wreck you and allow it to be something that you see as, oh my God, Lord, help me see my, the, the pride that I struggle with and the ugliness of that. Let me see... The filthiness of my sins so it can drive me to my knees to repent so grace can work in my heart and then all of a sudden I can be completely filled with joy and dependence and strength upon you, Lord. But it takes submission and humility to do that. It takes submission and humility to do that. Let's finish up this chapter. Verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll, we'll go in such a town, we'll spend a year there, we're going to trade, we're going to make a profit. Yet you do, know, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. What's your life? It's just a mist. It appears for a little while, then it vanishes. Instead of that, you should say, if the Lord wills, we're going to live to do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, James is saying that you're more concerned with going about your business of making money than you are the condition of your soul. You would rather just get distracted by the fact that, well, I don't like the way that this conviction thing makes me feel, so I'm going to run from that. And instead of allowing it to bring me to repentance, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and start making some business plans and get back involved in the busyness of life. James says, you don't know how much longer you have. He said, you don't know. He so said, why do you think you can do that? He said, instead, he said, you actually need to be focused on the fact that if there's something on the inside of you that you know is right and you're not doing it, then it's sin. If there's something God's leading you to do and you're not doing it, he said, it it's sin. So listen, he said, I'm more concerned about the condition of your soul. And James ends this letter to the people that he was writing to through the different churches in James chapter 5 with a call to repentance. In James chapter 5, he's making a big call at the end. You can read the last couple of verses there. Go ahead. It's okay. You can read it if you want to, even though we're going to be talking about that next week. You look at the end. He's he's making a call to repentance. He's saying, repent. Repent from this. Don't, Don't just go about your business. So many times, God's trying to deal with something in our heart. He's trying to show us something, and we just want to get busy doing something else because we don't really want to do business with God. We make all these excuses. Oh, I'll do that later. I'll make that decision later. I've got this other stuff to do first. I need some quiet time. Maybe I'll make some plans to go off and have some quiet time in a couple of weeks. And James is saying, no, 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 do it now. What are you talking about? Don't you know this life is a vapor? Do you think that you're promised tomorrow? Do you think that you're promised the time to actually go and allow God to do the hard work he wants to do? Oh, I'll just wait till we start our next round of trek. Oh, I'll just wait till we start uh, that before I start working on my marriage. I'll just wait till we have a a good small group uh, about this certain subject of finances before I get my financial house in order. Oh, I'll just wait until we, we, we talk about you know this or that before I'll actually do it. It, it. It's fine. I've got time. James says, no, you don't. He says, you need to wake up and realize if you know what's right to do and you're not doing it, that is sin. He said, and the more you keep ignoring that, The more you go about your day and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in your heart by bringing you to a place of repentance. He said, the the more you're just prolonging this thing and God is wanting to allow his grace to just overflow in your life. But you're missing this piece of dealing with this thing that he's trying to bring up. You see, this is what James is trying to get across to them back then. And I believe the Holy Spirit through James it's trying to get across to us today because although this was written to a group of churches right after Jesus ascended into heaven, it's still very relevant to us 2,000 years later, is it not? And it just shows you humanity. That's what it shows you. It shows you this is just people. This is sinful people. This is how people are. And we all still have the same need. We all still have the same struggle thousands of years later. The same issue. I don't even have to distort this text to try to make it cool and relevant for today. It just speaks for itself, right? Because it shows us how we are and who we are and what we need to do about it. He said, you need to repent. He said, you need to cleanse your hands, you sinners. You need to purify your hearts. You need to acknowledge it and you need to submit and humble yourself under God's mighty hand because that's the only thing that's going to allow the grace of God to do its work. That's when the grace of God becomes so sweet. When I can rest in Him, when I can know who I am in Christ because I'm forgiven because he's doing a work of grace in me where he's showing me my sin and i repent and i'm broken over that sin repentance is not just saying i'm sorry god i'll try harder to do better no repentance is where i'm broken and grieved over my sin because i allow myself to look in that mirror and then the grace of god moves in and begins to reorient my heart's desires because remember how he opened up this chapter he so said, Why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? Don't you know it's your inner desires that are causing you problems? So, in other words, your inner desires are what needs to be changed. Not stop fighting. He didn't just tell him to stop fighting. Notice, James never says stop fighting. That's wrong. How many of us have to be told to stop fighting because we know it's wrong? Nobody. Nobody needs to hear stop fighting, it's wrong. Stop doing drugs, they're bad. Stop lying. Stop stealing from work. Stop hiding things from your spouse. We don't need to hear that stuff. We know it. But when it comes up and we see it, what do we do with it? You hearing what I'm saying this morning? James is saying it's not that, I'm not going to point out all these different things because to him who knows what's right to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. You don't need to hear, don't do anything that's, you know, illegal. You don't need to be told those things. But there's this rebellious thing in us that needs to be calmed and quieted. There's this rebellious thing in us that needs to be reoriented. There's this desire, even in the little things, where we begin to fudge here and there, we we break the law, we we go over the speed limit. As simple as something as that is, that still reveals the nature of our heart hasn't been submitted to God. I did it yesterday a lot. I rode my motorcycle for like six hours yesterday and I wanted to see how fast it would go. Fast! That's how fast it goes. I'm not going to tell you a number, but it goes fast. But that still shows something in our hearts that's not submitted. You hearing what I'm saying? You getting this? Is this helping anybody? Because it still reveals something in our heart that's not right. That's not right that I did that because that's a law of the land. And I need to respect that and I need to honor that. And and, and I need to be broken over the fact that there's still some rebellion in me that God still needs to work in my heart his grace. You see, the greater my awareness of grace, the sweeter Jesus' sacrifice is to me. Oh, man, it just shows me, wow, there's still rebellion in me, so I still need Jesus. I haven't gotten to this point where I'm like, I'm good, Jesus. Nope, there's still rebellion there. There's still unsubmission. There's still authority issues. There's still some hurt that I'm hanging on to, some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some anger, some resentment. There's still some junk I'm holding on to. So guess what? That means I still need Jesus. Amen? because I'm not perfect, and neither are you. None of us are perfect. That's why we still need Jesus. We always need him, because he's the one who's working those things in our heart. But the greater I'm aware of my need for him, the sweeter Jesus' sacrifice becomes to me. So are we busy going about our day thinking, oh, we go to church, we have a lot of knowledge. You know, I serve a lot at church, I help out a lot. I'm pretty much an expert Christianity. And do we think that because of that we're exempt from change? Do we think because of all of our accolades, our tenure, our time invested, our level of knowledge or experience that we have with the things of God, that we've somehow become exempt from repentance? No. It should only still hold the mirror up and go, Wow, I still need Jesus. I need to be reminded of my need. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said, I have to be reminded of the gospel every day because I need to remember I need it every day. We all need to be reminded because how quickly can we drift away from our remembrance of where we put our hope, where we look for strength, where we look for joy, where we look for peace and contentment? How often can we drift away from the cross? So, When we hear a message like this, are we too busy thinking about someone else who needs to hear it? Are we looking in the mirror of the truth? Because true repentance is seeing your sinfulness and being grieved over your condition. Mourning is a part of repentance. I know that you've had this experience if you have kids. When your kids do something wrong to each other, someone hit someone, someone threw something, someone broke something, whatever, You bring them both in front of each other. Come here. Hey, come here. It's my dad voice. Siah? Abby, come here. Now. Now. Come here. What did you do? What did you say to her? Is that how we talk? Is that how Armstrongs behave? Is that how we do? Is that how we treat each other? No. Do you think you need to say something to her? sorry. No, 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 no. You look her in the eyes and you tell her you're sorry. Sorry. No, 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 no. What are we trying to do when our kids do that kind of stuff? We're trying to say, you don't really mean that. You don't really, you're not really broken over the fact that you did that to her. You're not really hurt in your heart. It doesn't grieve your heart that you said or did that to her. You're just trying to get out of trouble. You just want to go back to playing or doing what you're doing. I'm actually inconveniencing you by making you say sorry. And as childish as that is, we still act the very same way. We think we just give God a quick sorry, and then we just go back to what we were doing. Sorry, God. Can I go back to doing my sin and stuff? Sorry. And we think that that's good enough. But true repentance is one where I feel bad that I've done this. My heart is grieved when I see my sinfulness, when I see my condition. What if your kids saw their condition, saw what they actually did? Have you ever been in a situation where you had to get on to your kids and say the other one injured one? I remember one time I was practicing my saxophone, okay? I was 10 years old. I hated practicing my saxophone, but mom made me do it because she paid for lessons and I had to do it. Okay? I had to practice an hour every day. That's a lot of tooting on a horn. And yes, I said tooting. We were playing that horn for an hour straight, and mom would time me. And my sister, who is five years, four and a half, five years younger than me, had a friend over the house, and they came and they were dancing around me. You gotta play your saxophone. No, no, no. We get to go play and watch TV and do whatever we want while you gotta play. I was very unhappy. And so I wasn't gonna stop playing my saxophone. So I just went, (laughs) and I kicked my sister in the stomach, which I did not feel bad about. But then she laid over on the floor and she started turning blue because I knocked the breath out of her. Oh, whoa. I put down my horn. I went over there. I'm so sorry. Mom, 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 mom. She was fine. She's still alive today, praise God. Um, <laughs> out of my anger, I actually kicked her harder than what I had meant to. I just wanted to get her away. But man, I, I whacked her good and it scared me. And I was very apologetic and repentant over that. Now, If I wouldn't have seen how badly it hurt her, if it just just would have made her cry or go tattle on me, whatever. (laughs) But because I saw the effect of what I did, it changed something in my heart. I never did anything like that to my sister ever again. Something changed in me. Are you seeing what I'm saying today? When we see the depravity, we go, Oh my gosh, Lord, forgive me. That's different than just saying, Sorry, God. I feel bad about this. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's being wrecked over my sin. Are you grieved over your sin because you see the ugliness or are you just sorry that you got caught? Grace becomes sweet when we experience true repentance. So here's what we're going to do. My prayer for you is that repentance has been stirred in your heart and I just want you to do it right here, right now, okay? So we're just going to take a few minutes and let's just talk to God. If you need to kneel in your chair, if you want to come up here and kneel as kind of an altar of sorts, that's fine. If you want to make an altar right there in your chair, if you just want to sit, be seated where you're at and bow, that's fine. Let's just take two minutes, okay, these last two minutes that we have here together this morning, and let's allow what the Holy Spirit's been doing. Say, help me to see true repentance, Lord. Help me to be broken and grieved over my sins so your grace can become sweet, so your grace can truly come in, so I can truly be set free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he wants you free. He doesn't want you chained to sin. He just wants you to see it. He wants you to repent. He wants your heart to be reoriented to where this doesn't become just a sorry God. Where it becomes, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Cleanse our hands, Lord. Cleanse our hearts. Reorient our desires. Allow the message of the cross that Jesus took my sin. He didn't even know sin, but he took it. He took all of my anger, all of my hatred. He took all of my, all of my malice towards my, my co-worker, or that boss, that person I used to work for. He took all of that hurt and pain that you've been carrying around from your childhood. He took all of that junk you've been carrying around from that marriage. He took all that junk that you've been carrying around from your parents. He took all of those feelings of failure that you've had from mistakes you've made and things you've gotten involved in that you knew were wrong, but you did it anyways. He carried that for you. He didn't have to. He chose to. Because he loved you so much. He said, I'm going to take all of those burdens that you are carrying and I'm going to say, you're worth it to me. I love you this much. And then he says, I'm not going to let you walk through the rest of this life with that shame and condemnation, but I'm going to give you a new identity. One that says you're loved, you're free, you're forgiven. Now act like it. Now show the fruit of it. Now get to know me more. Now pursue me more. Now grow in loving me more. Not because it's the new checkoff list of things to do, but because your heart is so bent towards me. Because you realize how great of what Jesus did because you realize how great of what happened on the cross, how guilty that we have been, and how good God is. That way, anything good that comes out of me is just an overflow of grace. It's an overflow of Jesus at work on the inside of me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information please visit WOGCC.com.